Welcome to tonight's Zoomcast on Isaiah's Prophecy, Chapter 51, Christ's End Time Servant. Um, and the wise and foolish virgins. So DNC 45, verses 56 and 57. <clears throat> and at that day, when I shall come in my glory, shall the parable be fulfilled, which I spake concerning the 10 virgins. For they that are wise and have received the truth and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide and have not been deceived, Verily I see unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day. Now, implicit in the parable of the ten virgins are actually three different categories of people. And the first category is the harlot category. The foolish virgin category and the wise virgin category. Now, to go from the foolish virgin to the or to go from the harlot to the foolish virgin category requires righteousness and it requires diligently seeking the Lord. All 10 virgins have assembled themselves outside the walls to gain entrance to the wedding feast. They've all come seeking Christ. They're all wearing the wedding garment. They've all come expecting to be let in. So, Righteousness and seeking the Lord is absolutely required, but it's not sufficient. For they that are wise have also taken the Holy Spirit as their guide, therefore they find the truth and are not deceived. I'll be reading tonight from the Isaiah Institute's translation of Isaiah. starting in verse 1 of Isaiah 51. Hear me, you followers, followers of righteousness, seekers of Jehovah. Look to the rock from which you were cut, the quarry out of which you were hewn. Now, righteousness in Isaiah precedes salvation. Salvation being Jesus Christ and righteousness, a metaphor for the Lord's end-time servant. And again, here in verse 1, righteousness precedes salvation or Jehovah in terms that righteousness prepares the way for salvation or Jehovah. So we start off talking to those who accept the Lord's end-time servant, um, meaning that they accept the words which he will speak, you know, which is the words of the doctrine of Christ. It is the words of Latter-day Saints. We must repent, uh, not only for the great and grievous sins that we may have committed, but also that we have not been strict and diligent enough in recognizing the voice of the Spirit. And when the Spirit speaks, to be acting immediately. And in so doing, we have offended God. And we must repent and return. We must set our house in order, open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand. We must become disciples of Jesus Christ. So these are to whom Isaiah is speaking. 
in verse one, hear me, you followers of righteousness or the end time servant and the doctrine of Christ seekers of Jehovah. These are the wise virgins. Look to the rock from which you were cut the quarry out of which you were hewn. You know, the rock is Jesus Christ. Um, and secondarily, you know, of the seed of Abraham and Sarah, to whom the covenants were made. The quarry out of which you were hewn, just as rock is a metaphor for Christ, and secondarily Abraham, so is the quarry a metaphor for that assembly of God's people in the last days, or you followers of righteousness, and secondarily to Sarah. Look to Abraham, your father, to Sarah, who bore you. He was but one when I called him, but I blessed him by making him many. Now in, in Isaiah, we have many metaphors for the Lord's end time servant. And another one of these metaphors is Abraham who set a historical precedent, which Isaiah uses as anti-metaphor. Um, when Abraham was called, there was one upon the earth that was willing to follow the light of Christ that they had access to, namely Abraham, to qualify, to open again the heavens. And so it was with, uh, or so it is with the Lord's end time servant. At the time he is endowed with power, there is only one upon the earth who sufficiently hearkens unto that portion of the light of Christ that uh, they have to open the heavens. And so the Lord's end time servant, by obeying the voice of the Spirit, qualifies to again receive the first order of Melchizedek priesthood. And by receiving the first order of Melchizedek priesthood, as soon as that priesthood is sealed upon him, the heavens are opened and a new dispensation is also opened. So going to DNC 84. And in these verses, verses 19 through 21, we get a definition about what is required to open a new dispensation. The light might break forth among them that sit in darkness, <laughs> and that light is the fullness of the gospel. And this greater priesthood, the NC 8419, and this greater priesthood being distinguished from the lower or ironic priesthood, administereth the gospel. Well, how does it administer the gospel? One in this priesthood can be given the keys to officiate in the fullness of the gospel. Number two, it's the power and authority to perform the ordinances involved with the fullness of the gospel. And holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Well, how does this first order of priesthood hold the key to the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God? Because the key to the knowledge of God is, in fact, that endowment of power, which is the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because once a man or woman receives it, they then have the ability, as they ask and knock and obey, 
to be instructed about how to part the veil and enter into the rest of the Lord. Knowledge about how to enter into the rest of the Lord is the key of the knowledge of God. Even the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, because when a man or woman enters into the rest of the Lord, they will be taught by Christ himself. And thus the key to the mysteries of the kingdom. Now, in addition, before a man can enter into the rest of the Lord, which is more than seeing Christ in vision, and it's more than even having Christ come down here and visit us on this earth like he did to his 12 apostles after his resurrection, like he did to the Nephites. This is to have an ascension experience, to enter into his rest, which rest is the fullness of his glory, which is upon the high mountain, which is not an earthly mountain. It is the heavenly mountain, or what Isaiah and Enoch call the seventh heaven, or that place in the heavens where Christ reigns in the fullness of his glory. Verse 20. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. And we know from the millennial star under the title Holy Ghost in 1843 that the power of godliness being manifest unto men in the flesh is receiving the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. So in the ordinances thereof, what are the ordinances? Well, there are two primary ordinances. Um, Baptism of water into the fullness of the gospel, done under the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood. And second, the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Verse 21, and without the ordinances, baptism of water and fire and the Holy Ghost, which baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost we do not receive when we are confirmed a member of the church. You could say it's symbolic of that endowment of power in which we do. The authority and the authority of the priesthood. The power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. <clears throat> or in other words, when there is not a man upon the earth who has been ordained and sealed unto this power. And where do we get this concept of being ordained and sealed? Let's cross-reference DNC 76, verse 52. that by keeping the commandments, they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who is ordained and sealed unto this power. And a quick example of being ordained and sealed unto this power is found in 3 Nephi chapter 11. When Christ calls forth Nephi, who's been preaching repentance and baptizing with water, under the authority of the Aaronic priesthood for about 35 years. But now Christ is going to restore the fullness of his gospel and with it, the Melchizedek priesthood and with it, the authority to baptize with water into the fullness of the gospel versus the preparatory gospel, which he had been doing since third Nephi chapter one. Um, and also when sealed to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy ghost, which is the first endowment of power. Verse 18, and it came to pass that he spake unto Nephi, for Nephi was among the multitude, and he commanded him that he should come forth. And Nephi arose and went forth and bowed himself before the Lord and to kiss his feet. And the Lord commanded him that he should arise. And he arose and stood before him. And the Lord said unto him, I give unto you power that ye shall baptize this people when I am again ascended into heaven. So Christ confers the 
first order of Melchizedek priesthood upon Nephi and then upon the rest of the 12, with the charge to now go forth and baptize with water those that they have already baptized into the preparatory gospel. Um, but notice it says nothing about them performing the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Why is that? Because they have only been ordained unto this power. They haven't yet had it sealed upon them, which is what is required according to DNC 76 verse 52 to perform this ordinance. But the sealing takes place at the end of 3 Nephi 18. Starting in verse 36, and it came to pass that when Jesus had made an end of these sayings, he touched with his hand the disciples whom he had chosen, one by one, even until he had touched them all. And he spake unto them as he touched them. And the multitude heard not the words which he spake, therefore he did, they did not bear record. But the disciples bear record that he gave them power to give the Holy Ghost, and I will show unto you hereafter that this record is true. So Christ touching each of the 12 disciples is the sealing of this first order of Melchizedek priesthood. We find out in JST Genesis 14 that the sealing of the second order of Melchizedek priesthood comes through the calling of God's own voice, and that is the calling of God the Father's own voice, which we have an example of in Helaman chapter 10, when Nephi, the brother of Lehi, has this second order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon him, which is the power to command the elements by the calling of God's own voice. But in terms of this first order of priesthood, it is sealed directly by Christ. And with it comes the power to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. So going back to DNC 84, verse 21. And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. <clears throat> so this is the definition of what it means to open up a dispensation of the fullness of the gospel or the terrestrial order of the church of Christ. So when Joseph Smith was ordained and sealed unto this power in 1829, that's actually when the church of Christ was restored to the earth. Now it wasn't officially organized according to the laws of the state of New York until, you know, a year later. But as far as God is concerned, as far as the heavens being opened, as far as the possibility of receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that happened under Joseph Smith in 1829. And so it is with us in our day. As we read in DNC 124, because the saints rejected the fullness of the gospel, the fullness was taken from us. And we were left with the preparatory gospel, and we would remain in this preparatory state until shortly before the second coming of Jesus Christ, the end time servant would return. He would open again the heavens, opening a new dispensation, the dispensation of the fullness of times. And with it, the possibility to again receive the endowment of power or baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and thus receive that revelation to be instructed about how to part the veil and enter into the Lord's rest in this life. So going back to Isaiah 51, the end of verse two, he 
Abraham, but this also being a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant, uh, both in his first and second ministries. He was but one when I called him, or in other words, there was no other man on the earth that would sufficiently hearken to the voice of the Spirit, that he might be visited by heavenly angels, be ordained to the first order of Melchizedek priesthood, and then do whatever was required, that that order of the priesthood might be sealed upon him, that a new dispensation of the fullness of the gospel might be opened, that all who would receive the teachings of the doctrine of Christ might also receive this endowment of power. But I blessed him by making him many. So, this concept is outlined in Alma chapter 13, talking about the high priest in the holy order, which is actually the second order of Melchizedek priesthood. And it wasn't long before Abraham was also ordained and sealed to the second order of Melchizedek priesthood. The final test for Abraham to be sealed unto the second order of Melchizedek priesthood was would he be true and faithful in the commandment that the Lord gave him to offer up his son Isaac. And so <clears throat> the high priest being talked about in Alma 13 is not the high priest that we have in the earliest church today. And it's not the high priest uh, in the Aaronic priesthood uh, of the children of Israel. This is a high priest in the Melchizedek priesthood, which Joseph Smith received on June 4th, 1831. Verse 1, and again, my brethren, I would cite your minds forward to the time when the Lord God gave these commandments unto his children. And I would that you should remember that the Lord God ordained priests after his holy order, which is the second order of Melchizedek priesthood, the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood, which was after the order of his son to teach these things to, unto the people. And those priests were ordained after the order of his son in a manner that thereby the people might know in what manner to look forward to his son for redemption. Or in other words, being the first fruits of Christ, or in this case, the first one to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the ghost, the first one to receive the Melchizedek priesthood, the first one who would then enter into the rest of the Lord, that he might wear out his life in instructing others how to do exactly the same and performing the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the ghost and conferring priesthood upon those who the Lord has authorized for it to be conferred upon that they also might engage in the work of the gathering out of God's people and helping and ministering to them that they also might receive this endowment of power the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so this also relates to Joseph in his second ministry. Um, in the generation in which we now live, opening again the heavens, making it possible for all who would offer for a sacrifice their broken heart and contrite spirit, which at a bare minimum means a willingness to place everything upon the altar and specifically to receive by revelation that which the spirit will instruct is required of each one of us to fully come to a broken heart and contrite spirit that we might receive the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. For when we have fully 
according to the voice of the spirit offered up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, placing everything upon the altar and being tested in this sacrifice. Christ will then plead our case before father. And when he receives permission from father to adopt us as sons or daughters, then is the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of Holy Ghost, authorized to be performed by one who has been ordained and sealed unto this power. So, but I blessed him by making him many, meaning that just as Abraham was not the only one to receive the fullness of the gospel, neither will the end time servant. But many will receive the fullness of the gospel because it has been made available to them. And just like the end time servant will accept the full effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, that they might be forgiven and sanctified and healed and made whole. And ultimately able to become one with him and one with father. Verse three. For Jehovah is comforting Zion, bringing solace to all her ruins. He is making her wilderness like Eden, her desert as the garden of Jehovah. Joyful rejoicing takes place there, thanksgiving with the voice of song. So why would Zion need to be comforted? Why would solace need to be brought? And what are all her ruins that are being talked about? Why has the earth been turned into a wilderness and into a desert? It's because the abomination of desolation just as on a minor scale, as Christ prophesied during his mortal ministry, was poured out upon the Jews in Jerusalem in AD 70 by the Roman Titus. And those who had not fled were thrust through with the sword. So did Christ prophesy, and we read about this in Joseph Smith Matthew, a latter-day abomination of desolation, which would begin among the Lord's own house or among the Latter-day Saints and would commence from the Lord's own house or commence from the Latter-day Saints to the entire earth. And as we read in the book of Revelation, the blood would be even up to the horse's neck. So great will the destruction be. So, on the eve of destruction, the end time servant returns and he gathers out the strength of the Lord's house from among the Latter-day Saints. And Zion is then established and an end time exodus begins. Now this physical gathering out is preceded by a spiritual gathering out. And this spiritual gathering out has commenced through the declaration of the doctrine of Christ by the Lord's end time servant opening again the heavens that they might be prepared when he comes on the scene to affect the physical gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house, which in large measure will have already been gathered out spiritually. 
And once Zion is established, then the abomination of desolation will commence among the Lord's people. And with it, a desolation of the entire earth. But preceding the abomination of desolation is physical bondage. That's why the end time servant must show up when he shows up to deliver the Lord's people out of bondage or else they would not survive. And just as we read at the beginning of third Nephi, that the day was appointed when all who believed in the prophecy of Samuel the Lamanite of the sign of the Lord's birth were to be put to death if the sign was not given. The sign was in fact given and the people were spared from destruction. <clears throat> well, this physical bondage, which precedes the end time servant coming on the scene, turns the earth into ruins and wilderness and desert. And the even excess, which is represented by Babylon, is destroyed. And in Revelation, this is symbolized by the, the whore Babylon riding upon the beast, both of them being arrayed in scarlet. And the beast eventually turns upon the whore Babylon and devours her. Well, just as the beast devours the whore Babylon, so will the prosperity that the world enjoys but is not built upon righteousness, it will also be destroyed. And this is what is being symbolized in the book of Revelation. And thus, the world is brought into ruins and wilderness and into a desert state. And once this is affected, the only way to survive long-term will be through the direct intervention of Jesus Christ. Of course, most will turn to Babylon because Babylon will offer short-term survival um, and the taking upon of the mark of the beast. However, you know, this mark is also the mark of destruction. And those who will not take it, um, unless Jesus Christ directly intervenes, it doesn't seem that there is any way that they will be able to make sh this short-term survival. So the true saints of God will not take the mark of the beast. And so when they are delivered, um, and it has come and it has come down to the wire. Therefore, we see the need of Zion needing comforting. Therefore, we see the need for solace to be brought to all her ruins, for the, the persecution will be so severe that even the elect would fall if they will not be humble and cry out unto their God. And when that deliverance takes place, the desert will become as a garden, or in other words, 
as the end time servant leads God's people out on an exodus where there was devastation and destruction, sufficiency will be available. And the Lord will provide for his people just as he provided for the children of Israel um, under Moses coming out of Egypt. And so joyful will be the end of that period of tribulation that God's people will shout songs of redeeming love and joy for their God and their deliverer. Joyful rejoicing takes place there. Thanksgiving with the voice of song. The voice here also represents the Lord's end time servant as he again brings the people the fullness of the gospel and the opportunity to become God's people through entering into the new and everlasting covenant, even by offering up the oath, the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Verse 4, listen to me, my people. Give heed to me, O my nation. The law shall go forth from me. My precepts shall be a light to the peoples. Then suddenly I will act. Okay, my precepts shall be a light to the peoples. Let's go to DNC 45. Verse 28. And when the time of the Gentiles is come in, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel. Well, who are those that sit in darkness? It's us. But the opening again the heavens, the opening of a new dispensation is that light breaking forth among them that sit in darkness. And not only is it the Latter-day Saints, but it's the people of the whole earth. But that portion that breaks forth is in direct relation to the time of the Lord. Meaning, as the first shall be last and the last shall be first, just as the Jews were the first to receive the fullness of the gospel during Jesus Christ's mortal ministry, and then it could go to the rest of the earth or to the Gentiles. So in the last days, that is reversed. The fullness first goes to the Latter-day Saints. And from the Latter-day Saints, it will go to the rest of the world. And so, right now, the opportunity to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is available to the Latter-day Saints. And in reality, to all of those restoration branches. Um, and once the end-time exodus commences, and the Lord's servants from that exodus, take the fullness of the gospel and begin to gather. Um, then the opportunity to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and baptism of water into the fullness of the gospel will be extended to all nations and all peoples. But first, it goes to the Latter-day Saints. Listen to me, my people. Again, these are those who have entered into covenant with their God. And remember that a covenant with God comprise, is comprised of two oaths. There's the oath that man makes to God and the oath that God makes back to man. And in this case, Christ gives this new and everlasting covenant whereby we 
might become his people in 3 Nephi chapter 9, where he says, a new sacrifice I give unto you. And the new sacrifice is our oath to God, even that of a broken heart and contrite spirit. And then I will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Ghost. That's God's oath back to us. And thus we become his people. So he's speaking to those who receive with open hearts the doctrine of Christ. Give heed to me, O my nation. The law shall go forth from me. Um, and my country recognizes the trouble that she's caused. Okay. The law shall go forth from me, i.e. through my end-time servant. My precepts shall be a light to the peoples. Okay, again, this law and precepts is the fullness of the gospel talked about in DNC 4528. A light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel. However, verse 29, but they collectively, the Latter-day Saints, receive it not. For they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. And in that generation shall the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Okay, so in Scripture, when we're talking about the time of the Gentiles coming in, that's Joseph opening the heavens for the second time um, in our generation. And the time of the Gentiles being fulfilled is marked by the beginning of the end time exodus, uh, which is directly preceded by Joseph Smith gathering physically out the strength of the Lord's house. And so because the spiritual gathering commences before Joseph comes on the scene, but he affects the physical gathering, um, this is very sudden. He comes on the scene suddenly. Um, and so does Christ. The law shall go forth from me. My precepts shall be a light to the peoples. This is the restoration of the fullness of the gospel. And then notice that the law goes forth and it shall be a light to the peoples. That happens first. I.e., Joseph Smith first opens the heavens. But as Isaiah says, remains a polished shaft in the quiver of the Lord. In fact, let's go to Isaiah 49. Starting in verse 1. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. This is the end-time servant speaking. Chapter 48, the Lord is introducing the end-time servant Partway through, the end-time servant starts addressing us in first person. And chapter 49 starts with the end-time servant again addressing us in first person. He hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath, hid my, and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me. And made me a polished shaft in his quiver hath he hid me. And said unto me, Thou art my servant. So, even though he opens the heavens, he remains hidden 
as a polished shaft in the quiver of the Lord, or as the Isaiah Institute translation puts it, a polished arrow in the quiver of the Lord. And once he opens the heaven, the spiritual gathering commences. And once the spiritual gathering has not only commenced, but has largely taken place, then on the eve of destruction, the end time servant comes back on the scene and conducts the physical gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house. Or in other words, then suddenly I will act. Verse 5 in Isaiah 51. My righteousness shall be at hand. Okay, remember righteousness, a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant. And if you remember that the Lord's end time servant prepares the way for the Lord. So here, righteousness precedes salvation. My righteousness shall be at hand, and my salvation, Christ, proceed. My arms shall judge the peoples. Well, there are two arms um, in Isaiah, the right arm and the left arm. The left arm being the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. The right arm being split actually into two. Both the Lord's end time servant and Christ himself, righteousness and salvation. My arms, righteousness and salvation, or my end time servant and Christ himself shall judge the peoples. The isles anticipate me awaiting my arm. Okay. So the servant goes forth, sealing up unto deliverance or unto destruction. Just as we read about Nephi in Helaman chapter 10, as Nephi is having this second order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon him by the voice of Father. Verse 6, Behold, thou art Nephi, and I am God. Behold, I declare it unto thee in the presence of mine angels, that ye shall have power over this people, and shall smite the earth with famine and with pestilence and destruction, according to the wickedness of this people. Okay, this power doesn't come from Nephi, and it doesn't come from Lord's end-time servant. It comes from Jesus Christ. He is merely endowing his servants with power to accomplish his will. And they can only wield it as they act in accordance with his will. And verse 10, And behold, if you shall say that God shall smite this people, it shall come to pass. And now behold, I command you that ye shall go and declare unto this people that thus saith the Lord God, who is the Almighty, except ye repent, ye shall be smitten even unto destruction. Okay, and thus we see how the Lord's end time servant will go forth judging the nations, judging the peoples, um, delivering the righteous from destruction and bondage and sealing up the wicked unto destruction, which is to be carried out by the Lord's left hand, even the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. The isles anticipate me, awaiting my arm. So the isles or the nations, the peoples of the entire earth, are awaiting the servant to come and deliver them or those who serve underneath the servant to literally go to the four corners of the earth and gather out the strength of the Lord's house from among all the nations of the whole earth. Now, 
regarding the gathering out God's people from all the nations of the whole earth. Let's go back to DNC 45. And we just read in DNC 45 in verse 30. And in that generation, in the generation in which the time of the Gentiles uh, comes in, verse 28, the time of the Gentiles shall be fulfilled. So we know it's not too long from the time that Joseph opens again the seventh heavens <coughs> or the heavens until the physical gathering takes place. And then, verse 24, and this I have told you concerning Jerusalem. And when that day shall come, shall the remnant be scattered among all nations. And, you know, he was referring to the abomination of desolation um, in AD 70. And also the second abomination of desolation in our generation. But they shall be gathered again. Who? The tribes of Israel but they shall remain until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Or in other words, until the end time servant comes back on the scene and gathers out the strength of the Lord's house and the Exodus commences, um, the tribes of Israel are not being gathered, um, which is that marvelous work and a wonder. And in that day shall be heard, verse 26, of wars and rumors of wars, and the whole earth shall be in commotion, and men's hearts shall fail them. And they shall say that Christ delayeth his coming until the end of the earth. But in that day, Israel does commence being gathered. Or in other words, the isles anticipate me, awaiting my arm. Now let's cross-reference DNC 85.7 regarding the isles await my arm. And it shall come to pass that I, the Lord God, will send one mighty and strong, holding the scepter of power in his hand, clothed with light for a covering, whose mouth shall utter words, eternal words, while his bow shall be the fountain of truth. To set in order the house of God. Do you have to set in order something that isn't severely out of order? Well, what is the house of God? It's the Latter-day Saints and all of the other restoration branches. And to arrange by lot the inheritances of the saints. Whose names are found and the names of their fathers and of their children enrolled in the book of the law of God. And what is required to have one's name enrolled in this book? Well, it's to qualify to enter into Mount Zion or New Jerusalem, to enter into the rest of the Lord, have one's calling and election made sure. And this is the opportunity that all who go on the end time exodus will receive for all who truly desire it and also receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the ghost will then be worked with by one of the 144,000 to help them make the next ascension level to the church of the firstborn or enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory. And DNC 77 verse 11 talks about the working of the 144,000 with those on the end time exodus. Verse 11, what are we to understand by the sealing of the 144,000 
Out of all the tribes of Israel, 12,000 out of every tribe. Answer, we are to understand that those who are sealed are high priests ordained unto the holy order of God. Second order of Melchizedek priesthood. To administer the everlasting gospel, and there are they who are ordained out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people by the angels to whom is given power over the nations of the earth to bring as many as will come to the church of the firstborn. Okay, this is how we have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life and also qualify to enter into New Jerusalem. And everybody who truly desires, meaning everybody who is actually willing to pay the price, will have the opportunity to be born again as sons and daughters of Christ through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and also to enter into the Lord's rest. It's, it's an unprecedented, unprecedented time in human history where so many will ascend so far in such a short period of time. But since there are no shortcuts, this ascension is facilitated by, by great opposition. Verse 8. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look on the earth beneath. The heavens shall vanish by smoke. The earth wear out like a garment. Its inhabitants shall lie down in the manner of vermin. But my salvation shall be everlasting. My righteousness shall never fail. Salvation everlasting. And righteousness shall not fail. No power on earth or under the earth will be able to hedge up the way of the Lord's end time servant. He will not be thwarted. We know who wins in the end. Let's cross-reference JST Genesis 9.21. Regarding who wins in the end and being delivered by the Lord's end time servant. Here God is talking to Noah about the covenant that he made with Noah's great-grandfather Enoch. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant, which I made unto thy father Enoch, that when men should keep all my commandments. Well, how is it possible that men and women would keep all of God's commandments? Does it mean that they're perfect? No, it doesn't mean that they're perfect. It does mean that they have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and that they truly desire to enter into the Lord's rest, meaning that they're willing to pay that price, and therefore being worked with by one of the 144,000 to make that possible. So, in other words, when we have a sufficient number of men and women, we're willing to enter into the new everlasting covenant and do whatever is required of them. They will be gathered out on an exodus. And then the end time exodus will culminate with meeting up with Enoch and the return of his city, which will establish New Jerusalem. Zion should again come upon the earth, the seed of Enoch, which I have caught up unto myself. And this is mine everlasting covenant that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth and look upward. Then shall Zion look downward and the, all the heavens shall shake with gladness and the earth shall tremble with joy. And the general assembly of the church of the firstborn shall come down out of heaven and possess the earth and shall have place until the end come. And this is mine everlasting covenant, which I made with thy father Enoch. And third Nephi chapter 24, which is quoting Malachi 3. 
Now, just to give a little bit of context, um, Malachi has been calling out the corrupt leadership of the church of his day. And his rebuke is in regards to leadership. Verse 1. And it came to pass that he commanded them that they should write the words which the Father had given unto Malachi, he being Christ, which he should tell them. And it came to pass that they were written, after they were written, he expounded them. And these are the words which he did tell unto them, saying, Thus said the Father unto Malachi, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way, be <coughs> the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Okay, so this messenger that's being talked about is the end time servant before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, or in other words, righteousness precedes salvation. And once New Jerusalem has been established, then the Lord will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. For there will be a final offering by the sons of Levi or in the Aaronic priesthood, which will then be taken back up to heaven because the Aaronic priesthood um, is the power to officiate in the preparatory gospel. And during the millennium, there will be no preparatory gospel. The fullness of the gospel, the church of Christ will officiate outside the gates of new Jerusalem, while the celestial order, the church of the firstborn will officiate within the gates. And then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. Or in other words, both old and new Jerusalems will be established again as holy cities. And I will come near to you to judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against the false swearers, against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless. And the turn aside the stranger and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances. And ye have not kept them. Okay, again, this is referring to the end times. So the, what are the ordinances? Well, baptism of water and fire and the Holy Ghost by the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood. Replacing temple ceremony with the true endowments of power. True endowments of power being first, baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Second, being ordained and sealed to the first order of Melchizedek priesthood for men. For men and women to be instructed then about how to enter into the rest of the Lord. Next endowment, to actually enter into the rest of the Lord. Next endowment, to qualify for Christ to present you to father and father to mother. And for men to receive from father the second order of Melchizedek priesthood and for women to receive from mother the matriarchal order. 
that they then may begin the most significant period of testing of their existence as they qualify for those orders to be sealed upon them, that they might become kings and priests, queens and priestesses. Again, verse 7, 3 Nephi 24, quoting Malachi 3. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances. Okay, the fathers being first the children of Israel in uh, the desert under Moses, who rejected the fullness of the gospel. And secondly, the fathers being the saints who were with Joseph Smith when DNC 84. 1832, verse 54, and your minds in past times have been darkened because of unbelief and because you have treated lightly the things that you have received, which vanity and unbelief have brought the whole church under condemnation. And this condemnation resteth upon the children of Zion, even all. And they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the new covenant, even the Book of Mormon, and the former commandments which I have given them not only to say, but to do according to that which I have written that they may bring forth fruit meat for their father's kingdom. Otherwise, there remaineth a scourge and judgment to be poured out upon the children of Zion. Well, that's the warning in 1832 to repent and return. In 1834, we received the first level of scourge and judgment when in May of that year, Christ takes his name out of the church and the official name of the church is renamed the Church of Latter-day Saints. And the very last chance the Lord gives the saints to repent and return and have the fullness restored to them was in Nauvoo. This is recorded in DNC 124. And in DNC 124, verse 28, for there's not a place found on earth that he may come to and restore again that which was lost unto you or that which he hath taken away even the fullness of the priesthood. Fullness of the priesthood being the Melchizedek priesthood, first order Melchizedek priesthood. But behold, at the end of this appointment, verse 32, your baptisms for your dead shall not be acceptable unto me. And if you do not these things, if you do not repent and return, that you might qualify for the restoration of the Melchizedek priesthood and the fullness of the gospel, which is to be symbolized by the completion of the Nauvoo Temple in the time that I have allotted for its completion, which was during the life of Joseph. If you do not the, do these things at the end of the appointment, you shall be rejected as a church with your dead, thus saith the Lord your God. So, verse 7 in 3 Nephi 24 again. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances. And have not kept them. Return unto me, O you Latter-day Saints of the end times. And I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, to see if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. <clears throat> now, in the church, we use this as a heavenly requirement for church members to pay tithes and offerings to the church. Um, however, the Lord is not talking here to the members of the church during Malachi's day 
or as an end time prophecy to the members of the church of our day. He's talking to the wicked leaders who have stolen the tithing money and have built up their own kingdom with that money. Well, the Lord is saying, O ye leaders of Sodom, please repent and return before it is too late. I will receive you back. But if not, you will be destroyed. Verse 11, 35, 24. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, meaning that if you do not, I will not rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and you will be overcome by the devourer. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed. For ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, what have we spoken against thee? Ye have said, it is a vain, it is vain to serve God, and what doth it profit that we have kept his ordinances, and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? For you Latter-day Saints say, follow your prophet who does not speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost who deceives you into thinking that you are receiving my endowment when all that is being presented is a ceremony. And there is no mention of the true endowments of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, or entering into the rest of the Lord in this life. And your leaders blaspheme against me in the midst of my house by claiming that they have these, this authority of the Melchizedek priesthood when they full, know full well that they do not. And ye have said, it is vain to serve God. And what doth it profit that we have kept his ordinances and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. They that, are, they that tempt God are even delivered. Now we're talking about church members and church leadership. Then they that feared the Lord and spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard, and a book of remembrance was written before him. For them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name, and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, how are they to be his? Well, through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that is a formal adoption ceremony whereby Christ adopts us as sons or daughters. And when we go from baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost to entering into the rest of the Lord, then do we go from being a son or daughter of God to being the birthright of God? And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. Well, the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house first for spiritually and then physically in our generation is the Lord making up his jewels. <clears throat> and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him through the intervention of the end time servant. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Talking about among members and leadership of the church, the separation of wheat and tares. And DNC 101. 
regarding <coughs> that day when Zion is redeemed. And do you have to redeem something that hasn't fallen or been ransomed? No. If we hadn't fallen as the Lord's house, we wouldn't have to be redeemed, but we did fall. So we do need to be redeemed. Verse 64, that the work of the gathering together of my saints may continue. Why does it have to continue? Because it was cut short during Joseph Smith's first ministry. That I may build them up unto my name upon holy places for the time of harvest is come. And my word must needs be fulfilled. Therefore, I will gather together my people according to the parable of the wheat and the tares that the wheat may be secured in the garden to possess eternal life and be crowned with celestial glory when I shall come in the kingdom of my father to reward every man according as his work shall be. While the tares shall be bound in bundles, their bands made strong, that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. Malachi 1, verse 6. to show who Malachi was talking about in Malachi 3, i.e. The, the wicked priests. And it is meant to be a type and parallel to those wicked priests in the church today. Malachi 1.6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you. O priests that despise my name, and ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? And chapter two, verse one. O now ye priests, this commandment is for you. And... Chapter 3, verse 3. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Lest there was any doubt about who the Lord was speaking to through Malachi. Isaiah 30, verse 30. Jehovah will cause his voice, the Lord's end time servant, to resound and make visible his arm descending in furious rage with lashes of devouring fire, explosive discharges, and pounding hail. Okay, again, the Lord is revealing his arm of righteousness. His arm of righteousness being the Lord's end time servant. And Isaiah 40, verses 10 through 11. See, my Lord Jehovah comes with power. His arm presides for him. His reward is with him. His work precedes him. Like a shepherd, he pastures his flock. The lambs he gathers up with his arm and carries in his bosom. 
the ewes that give milk, he leads gently along. In Isaiah 48, 14 and 15. All of you assemble in here. Who among you foretold these things? It is him Jehovah loves, who shall perform his will in Babylon. His arm shall be against the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. I myself have spoken it and also call him. I have brought him. I will prosper his way. And Isaiah 52.10. Jehovah has bared his holy arm in the eyes of all nations, that all the ends of the earth may see our God's salvation. Now, Isaiah 32, verses 16 and 17. Speaking of how the end time servant prepares the earth for the coming of their Lord and God. So shall justice inhabit the desert and righteousness abide in the farmland. And the effect of justice shall be peace. And the result of righteousness and assured calm forever, or the Lord's end time servant will bring peace and justice and calm for a thousand years. Isaiah 41. Verses 1 and 2. Be silent before me, O isles, become still, you peoples. Let them come forward and state their case. Let us stand trial together. Who has raised up righteousness, the Lord's end time servant, from the east, calling him to the place of his foot? Who has delivered nations to him, toppled the rulers, rendering them as dust to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow? And Isaiah 42. Verses one through four. My servant whom I sustain, my chosen one in whom I delight, him have I endowed with my spirit. He will dispense justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice to make himself heard in public. Even a bruised reed will not break, a dim wick will not, he will not snuff out. <clears throat> he will perform the work of justice in the cause of truth. Neither shall he himself grow dim or be bruised. Until he has brought about justice in the earth, the isles await his law. And Isaiah 56. Verse 1. Thus says Jehovah, observe justice and perform righteousness. For my salvation will soon come when my righteousness is revealed. Or, thus says Jehovah, observe justice. Lord's end time servant brings justice and perform righteousness. Um, righteousness is, you know, another metaphor for the Lord's end time servant. For my salvation, Christ himself will soon come. When my righteousness, the Lord's end time servant, is revealed or comes on the scene to deliver out the strength Lord's house physically from bondage and then to gather Israel from the four corners of the earth. And Isaiah 62, 
verses 8 and 9. Jehovah has sworn by his right hand his mighty arm. I will no more let your grain be food for your enemies, nor shall foreigners drink the new wine you have toiled for. Those who harvest it shall eat it, giving praise to Jehovah. Those who gather it shall drink it within the environs of my sanctuary. Okay, Jehovah has sworn by his right hand, his servant, his mighty arm, his servant. I will no more let your grain be food for your enemies, nor shall foreigners drink the new wine you have toiled for. Or in other words, the Lord's people are brought into physical bondage, but they are delivered. And Isaiah 33, 2, talking about the arm of salvation, who is Christ himself. Oh, Jehovah, be favorable toward us. We have waited for you. Be our strength of arm from morning to morning, our salvation in troubled times. And Isaiah 59. Verse 16. When he saw it, he wondered why there was no man, no one who would intercede. So his own arm brought about salvation for him. His righteousness rallied to his cause. The Lord's right arm, both Christ and the end time servant. Servant preparing the way before Christ. And thus, you know, throughout Isaiah, those who reject the end time servants also reject Christ. Isaiah 63, 5. I glanced around, but none would lend help. I glared, but no one would assist. So mine own arm brought about salvation for me, and my wrath, it assisted me. And regarding the judgment that comes from Jesus Christ, Isaiah 35, verse 4. Say to those with fearful hearts, take courage, be unafraid. See your God is coming to avenge and to reward. God himself will come and deliver you. Well, God himself coming to deliver is via his end time servant. And Isaiah, let's go back to Isaiah 59. This time, let's read verses 16 through 20. When he saw it, he wondered why there was no man, no one who would intercede. So his own arm brought about salvation for him. His righteousness rallied to his cause. He put in righteousness as a breastplate. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and made salvation the helmet on his head. He clothed himself with vengeance for a garment and wrapped himself in fury as in a robe. According to what they deserve, he will repay them. 
wrath upon his adversaries, reprisals upon his enemies. To the isles he will render retribution. From the west, men will fear Jehovah omnipotent, and from the rising of the sun, his glory. For he will come upon them like a hostile torrent, impelled by the spirit of Jehovah. But he will come as redeemer to Zion, to those of Jacob who repent of transgression, says Jehovah. And Isaiah 63, 1 through 6. Who is coming from Edom in red stained garments? Who is this from Basra, arrayed in majesty, pressing forward in the strength of his power? It is I who am mighty to save, announcing righteousness. Why are you clothed in red, your garments like those who tread grapes in the winepress? Alone I have trodden out a vatful of the nations. No one was with me. I trod them down in my anger. In my wrath, I trampled them. Their lifeblood splattered my garments, and I have stained my whole attire. For I had resolved on a day of vengeance, and a year of my redeemed had come. I glanced around, but none would lend help. I glared, but no one would assist. So my own arm brought about salvation for me and my wrath. It assisted me. I trod nations underfoot in my anger. I made them drunk by my rage when I cast their glory to the ground. And Isaiah 66, 10 through 16. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all who love her. Join in her celebration, all who mourn for her. From now on, nurse contentedly at her consoling breasts. Draw at your pleasure from the abundance of her bosom. For thus says Jehovah, see, I will extend peace to her like a river, the bounty of the nations like a stream in the flood. Then shall you nurse and be carried upon the hip and dandled on the knee. As one who is comforted by his mother, I will comfort you. For Jerusalem, you shall be comforted. Your heart shall rejoice to see it. Your limbs flourish like sprouting grass. When the hand of Jehovah shall be manifest among his servants and his rage among his enemies. See, Jehovah comes with fire, his chariots like a whirlwind to retaliate in furious anger, to rebuke with conflagrations of fire. For with fire and with a sword shall Jehovah execute judgment on all flesh, and those slain by Jehovah shall be many. Back to Isaiah 51, verse 7. Hear me, you who know righteousness. Again, the Lord makes a call to those who will receive his new and everlasting covenant, who are able to discern a true prophet from a false one. O people in whose heart is my law, do not fear the reproach of men, be undaunted by their ridicule. Let's cross-reference DNC 85, 7. Again, and it shall come to pass that I, the Lord God, will send one mighty and strong, holding the scepter of power in his hand. 
clothed with light for a covering, whose mouth shall be in whose mouth utter words, eternal words, while his bow shall be a fountain of truth to set in order the house of God. And First Nephi chapter 8. Verses 26 to 28. But first, Isaiah 51, 7 again. Hear me, you who know righteousness. O people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men. Be undaunted by the ridicule. Okay, now First Nephi 8 regarding Lehi's vision and the great and spacious building. And I also cast my eyes round about and beheld on the other side of the river of water, a great and spacious building. And it stood as if it were in the air, high above the earth. And it was filled with people, both old and young, both male and female. And their manner of dress was exceedingly fine. And they were in the attitude of mocking and pointing their fingers toward those who had come at and were partaking of the fruit. And after they had tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed because of those who were scoffing at them. And they fell away into forbidden paths and were lost. Now, who is it that is pointing their fingers and scoffing and mocking at those who seek the path of Jesus Christ? Well, it's the in-the-box members of the church whose hearts are so hard that they perceive not the light. In fact, they turn their hearts from the fullness because they are taught by the precepts of men, and they prefer the words spoken not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost to those which are, because it goes against their tradition. These are the ones who reproach those who seek to be on that straight and narrow path that leads to the tree who is Christ. Isaiah says at the end of verse 7, be undaunted by the ridicule. For the moth shall consume them like a garment. Moths shall devour them like wool. But my righteousness shall endure forever. My salvation through endless generations. You know, righteousness, again, a metaphor for the end time servant. Salvation for Christ himself. But my end time servant, righteousness shall endure forever. My salvation, Christ, through endless generations. Well, endless generations is much more than one lifetime. In fact, it's a direct reference to the doctrine of eternal lives. And cross-referencing DNC 101. Again, the parable of the redemption of Zion. For the moth shall consume them like a garment. Isaiah 51.8, again, moths shall devour them like wool, but my righteousness shall endure forever, my salvation through endless generations. Verse 55, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, go and gather together the residue of my servants and take all the strength of my house. 
which are my warriors, my young men, they that are of middle age, also among all my servants, where the strength of mine house save those only whom I've appointed to tarry. And go ye straightway unto the land of my vineyard, redeem my vineyard, for it is mine, I've bought it with money. Therefore, get ye straightway into the land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower, and scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of my house and possess the land. And verse 66, while the terror shall be bound in bundles, their bands made strong, that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. Isaiah 51, verse 8, again, for the moth shall consume them like a garment. Moths shall devour them like wool. Those who dish out reproach and scorn and ridicule, who will not enter into the new and everlasting covenant, even though the fullness of the gospel is in them or is before them in the scriptures, yet they see not the light, for they are blinded by the craftiness of men. Verse 9, awake, arise, clothe yourself with power, O arm of Jehovah. Bestir yourself as in ancient times, as in generations of old. Was it not you who carved up Rahab, who slew the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the mighty deep, and made of ocean depths a way by which the redeemed might pass? Okay, direct um, reference to Moses's leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, parting the Red Sea, and defeating Pharaoh's sorcerers and Pharaoh's uh, will himself uh, to save God's people. Awake, arise, clothe yourself with power, O arm of Jehovah. All right, if we go to Moses chapter 1. So before Moses is sent in unto Pharaoh to deliver the children of Israel, first he must be endowed with power from on high. Having already received the first endowment of power or baptism of fire, baptism only goes to the time of the burning bush and the first order of Melchizedek priesthood being ordained and sealed upon them, uh, thus being able to have his ascension experience Described in Moses 1, verse 1, the words of God which he spake unto Moses at a time when Moses was caught up to an exceedingly high mountain. Again, not an earthly, but the heavenly mountain, or that place in the heavens where Christ reigns in the fullness of his glory. This is more than to see in vision. Moses went into the seventh heaven, and he saw God face to face, and he talked with him, and the glory of God was upon Moses. Therefore, Moses could endure his presence. So there, Moses is receiving his second comforter. And then he's ordained to the second order of Melchizedek priesthood, already having had the first sealed upon him. And now he is about to have this second order sealed upon him and receive power to command the elements. Verse 24. And it came to pass that when Satan had departed from the presence of Moses, that Moses lifted up his eyes unto heaven, being filled with the Holy Ghost, which beareth record of the Father and the Son. And calling upon the name of God, he beheld his glory again, for it was upon him. And he heard a voice saying, Blessed art thou, Moses, for I, the Almighty, have chosen thee, and thou shalt be made stronger than the many waters, for they shall obey thy command as if thou wert God. And lo, I am with thee, even unto the end of thy days. 
and thou shalt deliver my people from bondage, even Israel, my chosen. And it came to pass that the voice that as the voice was still speaking, Moses cast his eyes and beheld the earth, yea, even all of it. And there was not a particle of it, which he did not behold discerning it by the spirit of God. Now, does this remind you of what happened to Nephi in Helaman 10? At the end of verse 3, Behold, a voice came unto him, saying, Blessed art thou, Nephi, for those things which thou hast done. For I have beheld how thou hast with unweariness declared the word which I have given unto thee unto this people. And thou hast not feared them, and hast not sought thine own life, but hast sought my will, and to keep my commandments. And now, because thou hast done with such unweariness, behold, I will bless thee forever, and I will make thee mighty in word, and indeed in faith and in works, yea, even that all things shall be done according to thy word. For thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. Behold, thou art Nephi, and I am God. Behold, I declare it unto thee in the presence of mine angels, that ye shall have power over this people, and shall smite the earth with famine and with pestilence and destruction according to the wickedness of this people. And Isaiah 51, 9. Awake, arise, clothe yourself with power, O arm of Jehovah. Bestir yourself as in ancient times, as in generations of old. Um, so, Clothe yourself with power, O arm of Jehovah. Now, this has reference both to the end-time servant and to God's people who would serve him. Um, the end-time servant, before he, become, before he comes on the scene, must fully awake and arise and again be ordained and sealed to the second order of Melchizedek priesthood. And... The Lord's people need to receive the endowment of power. DNC 38. Verse 32 and 38. Wherefore, for this cause, I give unto you commandment, the commandment, that ye should go to the Ohio. And what is built in Ohio, in Kirtland? And there I will give unto you my law, and there you shall be endowed with power from on high. The endowment of power for which the Kirtland and Nauvoo temples were built was the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And verse 38, see that all things are preserved, and when men are endowed with power from on high and sent forth, all things shall be gathered unto the bosom of the church. Okay. That is the endowment for which the temple was built. However, there were but few who received it. This endowment of power and the saints of God who receive it in number pertain to Joseph Smith's second ministry. It, per it pertains 
to those in our generation who will become saints through entering into and keeping covenant with their God and thus receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And DNC 43. Sixteen through thirty-five, and ye are to be taught from on high. Sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be endowed with power, even the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. That ye may be given, even as I have spoken. Hearken ye, for behold, the great day of the Lord is nigh at hand. For the day cometh that the Lord shall utter His voice out of heaven, and the heavens shall shake, and the earth shall tremble, and the trump of God shall sound both long and loud. And shall say to the sleeping nations, ye saints, arise and live, ye sinners, stay and sleep until I shall call again. Wherefore, gird up your loins, lest ye be found among the wicked. Lift up your voices and spare not. Call upon the nations to repent, both old and young, both bond and free, saying, prepare yourselves for the great day of the Lord. For if I, who am a man, do lift up my voice and call upon you to repent, and ye hate me, what will ye say when the day cometh, when the thunders shall utter their voice? shall utter their voices from the ends of the earth, speaking to the ears of all that live, saying, Repent and prepare for the great day of the Lord. Yea, again, when the lightnings shall streak forth from east to west, and shall utter forth their voices unto all that live, and make the ears of all tingle that hear, saying these words, Repent ye, for the great day of the Lord is come. And again, the Lord shall utter his voice out of heaven, saying, Hearken, O ye nations of the earth. And hear the words that God who made you. O ye nations of the earth, how often would I have gathered you together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. How oft have I called upon you by my mouth, by the mouth of my servants, and by my ministering of angels, and by mine own voice, and by the voice of thunderings, and by the voice of lightnings, and by the voice of tempests, and the voice of earthquakes and great hailstorms, and the voice of famines and pestilences of every kind. These are the things which are coming. And the great sound of a trump, by the voice of judgment, and by the voice of mercy all the day long, and by the voice of glory and honor, and the riches of eternal life, and would have saved you with an everlasting salvation, but ye would not. Cross-reference 2 Nephi 28. Woe unto the latter-day saints slash Gentiles, saith the Lord God of hosts, for notwithstanding I shall lengthen out mine arm unto them from day to day, they will deny me. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto them, saith the Lord God, if they will repent and come unto me. For mine arm, in time servant, is lengthened out all the day long, saith the Lord God of hosts. Back to DNC 43. And by the voice of judgment, and by the voice of mercy all the day long, and by the voice of the glory and honor and riches of eternal life, and would have saved you with an everlasting salvation, but ye would not. And cross-referencing DNC 45. Verse 28. But when the time of the Gentiles is come in, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel, but they receive it not. 
for they perceive not the light, but they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. This is all about the Latter-day Saints. In verse 46 in DNC 43, behold, the day has come when the cup of the wrath of mine indignation is full. Behold, verily I say unto you that these are the words of the Lord your God. Wherefore, labor ye, labor ye in my vineyard for the last time. For the last time, call upon the inhabitants of the earth. For in mine own due time will I come upon the earth in judgment. And my people shall be redeemed and shall reign with me on the earth. For the great millennium of which I have spoken by the mouth of my servant shall come. For Satan shall be bound. And when he is loosed again, he shall only reign for a little season. And then cometh the end of the earth. And he that liveth in righteousness shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And the earth shall pass away so as by fire and the wicked shall go away into unquenchable fire and there and no man knoweth on the earth nor ever shall know until they come before me in judgment hearken ye to these words behold i am jesus christ the savior of the world treasure these things up in your hearts and let the solemnities of eternity rest upon your minds be sober keep all my commandments even so amen And DNC 95. Verses 1 through 7. Fairly thus saith the Lord unto you whom I love. And whom I love I also chasten, that their sins may be forgiven. For with the chastisement I prepare a way for their deliverance in all things, out of temptation, and I love you. Wherefore, ye must needs be chastened and stand rebuked before my face. For ye have sinned against me a very grievous sin, in that ye have not considered the great commandment in all things that I have given unto you concerning the building of mine house. For the preparations wherewith I design to prepare are mine apostles, to prune my vineyard for the last time, that I may bring to pass my strange act, that I may pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now this is given in 1833. Uh, 12 men are not called as apostles until 1835, and that's to the celestial um, preparatory order of the gospel. This is not, or those, that 12 are not the 12 that the Lord is referring to here. Here, the Lord is referring to those 12 who will be called by him under the hand of Joseph when he returns on the scene. Verse 4, for the preparation wherewith I design to prepare mine apostles to prune my vineyard for the last time. That wasn't during Joseph Smith's first mortality, during his first ministry. That I may bring to pass my strange act. My strange act is the saving of his people from destruction and the gathering of Israel. That I may pour out my spirit upon all flesh. But behold, verily I say unto you that there are many who have been ordained among you whom I have called, but few of them are chosen. And partially that's what is being referred to in DNC 101.55 when the servant goes and gathers together the residue of the servants. And it's the residue because only a small fraction of the first labors in the last kingdom talked about in DNC 88 qualify to return with Joseph. And they are not chosen, have sinned a very grievous sin in that they are walking in darkness at noonday. And for this cause, I give you a commandment that you should call your solemn assembly 
that your fastings and your mornings might come up into the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth. Now, the Sabaoth is not the Sabbath. The Sabaoth are the noble and great ones who participated in the creation of this earth. That your fastings and mornings might come up into the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth, which is by interpretation the creator of the first, the beginning, and the end. Yea, verily I said to you, I gave you a commandment. You should build a house in the which house I designed to endow those whom I have chosen with power from on high. For this is the promise of the Father unto you. Therefore, I command you to tarry even as mine apostles at Jerusalem. Now, this is a prophecy and an advice and counsel to those who the Lord would call as, pro as apostles in the day of Joseph Smith's return. That they need to get their act together and receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, or the endowment of power in preparation. And so do all of us as we prepare for the end time exodus, but especially those who would be servants. <coughs> and DNC 105. Starting in verse 1. Verily I say unto you who have assembled yourselves together, that you may learn my will concerning the redemption of mine afflicted people. Well, who are mine afflicted people? It's the Latter-day Saints. Having been afflicted by miserable, wicked men who set up stumbling blocks and dug pits to ensnare and to destroy them. And finally, at the very end, go into physical bondage as well. Behold, I say unto you, were it not for the transgressions of my people speaking concerning the church and not individuals, they might have been redeemed even now. But behold, they have not learned to be obedient to the things which I required at their hands, but are full of all manner of evil and do not impart of their substance as become of saints to the poor and afflicted among them and are not united according to the union required by the law of the celestial kingdom. And Zion cannot be built up unless it be by the principles of the law of the celestial kingdom. Otherwise, I cannot receive her unto myself. And my people must needs be chastened until they learn obedience. If, if it must needs be by the things which they suffer. I speak not concerning those who are appointed to lead my people, who are the first elders of my church, for they are not all under this condemnation. But I speak concerning my church abroad. There are many who will say, where is their God? Behold, he will deliver them in time of trouble. Otherwise, we will not go up unto Zion and will keep our monies. Therefore, in consequence of the transgressions of my people, it is expedient in me that mine elders should wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion, that they themselves may be prepared and that my people may be taught more perfectly and have experience and know more perfectly concerning their duty and the things which I require at their hands. And this cannot be brought to pass until mine elders are endowed with power from on high. So again, if you have desires to serve God, you're called to the work. Engage in the work and do what is required that you might be endowed with power from on high. Even the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
For behold, I have prepared a great endowment and blessing to be poured out upon them, inasmuch as they are faithful and continue in humility before me. Therefore, it is expedient in me that mine elders should wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion. Well, we are in that season in which Zion will be redeemed, but we must wait a little longer. And the servant will indeed come back on the scene. Back to Isaiah 51. Verse 11. Let the ransomed of Jehovah's of Jehovah return. Let them come singing to Zion, their heads crowned with everlasting joy. Let them obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing flee away. I myself am your comforter. Who are you that you fear mortal man? The children of men who shall be turned to grass? Have you forgotten Jehovah, your maker, who suspends the heavens, who sets the earth in place, that you go all day to constant dread of the oppressor's rage? As he readies himself to wreak destruction, what is there to the wrath of the oppressor? Soon now shall he who is bowed down be set free. He shall not die as those destined for the pit, neither shall he want for food. It is I, Jehovah, your God, whose name is Jehovah of hosts, who stir up the sea so that its waves roar. I will put my words in your mouth and shelter you in the shadow of my hand while I replant the heavens and set the earth in place, that I may say to Zion, you are my people. Rouse yourselves, awaken and rise up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from Jehovah's hand the cup of his wrath, drinking the dregs, the bowl of stupor. There was none to guide her among all the children she bore, none to take her by the hand. Of all the sons she reared, twofold calamity hath befallen you, desolation ruined, and who laments you, famine and sword, who consoles you? Your children lie in a faint at the corner of every street, taken in a net like a buffalo. They have their fill of the wrath of Jehovah, of your God's might, anger, re angry rebuke. Now, therefore, hear this, O wretched one, drunk though not with wine. Thus says Jehovah, your Lord and God, who defends the cause of his people. I am taking the cup of stupor from your hand. You shall drink no more from the bowl of my wrath, and I give it into the hand of your tormentors, those who said of your life, life prostrate, prostrate, that we may go over you, so that you made your back as the ground a mere thoroughfare to passers-by. And so, even though the Lord's covenant people initially suffer at the hands of their oppressors. The Lord hears their cries and delivers them from bondage and from destruction. So it is my testimony that as it says in DNC 45, verse 28, and when the time of the Gentiles is come in, that in fact the time of the Gentiles has now come in, and a light has broken forth among those that sit in darkness, and it is the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is repentance, baptism by water under the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood. 
offering up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that we might be instructed about how to enter into the rest of the Lord, that through the doctrine of Christ, we might qualify as the strength of the Lord's house to be gathered out on that end time exodus, to be led by Joseph in his return, to establish New Jerusalem, and to participate in the gathering out of Israel from the four corners of the earth in final preparation for the return of Christ in his glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.